When you are free, you live a life that sets other people free. God has more for you than you can ever imagine. Three words, hope, health, and healing. Amen by myself. Welcome to Midtown. My name is Ephraim Smith. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church. So glad I guess to be back in Elk Grove. I was here and people was like, you ain't been here since last year. You ain't been here since 2011. I was like, church wasn't even here in 2011. But just so there's proof, I was here. I'm, I'm going to take a selfie this time. So I, this is proof that I was here. You could did like Pastor Tyrone can't say I wasn't here. I was here. All right. Okay. <laughs> I, I promise I'll, I'll, it won't be as long when I come back. I promise. Anytime Pastor Tyrone wants me here, I will be here. I will be here. So it's so good to see y'all. So good to see y'all. My wife, Donisha, is here too. So, Nisha, just wave your hand a little bit. We just recently came back from Ghana. And so... uh, I had a chance to see those of you that participated in uh, World Vision Chosen. We had an opportunity to see the children choose you. And so, again, we had 321 families say yes to World Vision Chosen Ghana. And uh, we're just going to keep going to Ghana every year. Hopefully, every year we'll take some of y'all with us. And uh, it was just a powerful, powerful experience, not only for us to uh, be involved in child sponsorship, but also we went to the slave dungeons, we went to the river of the last bath, we went to these spots that represent the origins of brokenness, the, the origins of the original sin in America, and we went to those spots and reclaimed those spots for worship and healing and transformation and empowerment. So, uh, so again, thank you, thank you for uh, allowing Denisha and I to go representing Midtown Church, Elk Grove, and Sacramento. Well, there's a word that I want to point us to in the book of Acts. There's a word in the book of Acts, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. The book of Acts, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read a number of verses here. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. From all those verses, sisters and brothers, I want to speak to you on the title, When the Church Becomes a Bridge. When the Church Becomes a Bridge. God, I pray that you would be speaking And I would just be the vessel, the vehicle you have decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word, so please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. When the church becomes a bridge, my wife, Danisha, and I, and our two daughters, Jada and Maria, who are now living in different parts of the country, we originally came to California in 2010. But Denise and I are born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So uh, grew up in Minnesota, and uh, every time winter comes, I go, oh, man, them poor folks are still big back in Minnesota. Man, it, you know, it's a chilly 48 degrees here in January, but they're like with like minus five. I miss the people in Minnesota, but I do not miss the winters of Minnesota. I can tell you that. But there is a memory. Out of all the great memories I have of growing up in Minneapolis, I cannot forget what happened on August 1st, 2007, when a portion of the bridge that connects the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul collapsed into the Mississippi River. This made not just national news, but international news. Again, it was August 1st, 2007. And the Interstate Interstate 35 West Bridge collapsed. This eight-lane, 1,907-foot-long highway bridge over the Mississippi River collapsed. 1,000 feet of the deck truss collapsed with about 456 feet of the main span of the bridge falling 108 feet into the 15-foot deep river. There were 111 vehicles on the portion of the bridge that collapsed. 13 people died that day. 145 people were injured. Even though this physical bridge collapsed and there was death and there was injury, you could hear the cries. While that physical bridge collapsed, In that same moment, there were some social bridges and spiritual bridges that were built. What do I mean by this? In the midst of this devastation, 
People came together in the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul like never before. Even though there were people that lived in St. Paul that talked about people that lived in Minneapolis and people that lived in Minneapolis that talked about people that lived in St. Paul. Even though there was divisions in the twin cities, when that bridge collapsed, all of a sudden there were social connections that were built. There were social bridges that were built. People didn't care anymore what side of the river you grew up on. People didn't care anymore if you were St. Paul or you were Minneapolis. We were united as the Twin Cities. But there were also spiritual bridges that were built. What do I mean by that? There were people of God. There were believers that said yes to being deployed by God to make a difference in the midst of the pain. Even on that very day, that very moment when the bridge collapsed, there was a young man named Nate Miller. He was a member of the church that I was pastoring at the time in Minneapolis. He happened to be working close by. And when he heard the loud boom of that bridge collapsing, he ran towards the bridge. Can you believe that? In the midst of the smoke, in the midst of the haze, in the midst of the pain, he ran to that bridge because where he was, he could see a school bus. A school bus that had went down in the collapse and yet somehow miraculously the way that this bus landed, it landed on the banks of the Mississippi River, not into the water of the Mississippi River, and he ran there and saw that there were children still alive on that bus. And he pried open the emergency back door of that bus and he helped children get off that bus. He helped children climb through windows. Later, he would be recognized and honored by the governor of the state for his heroic act. Sometimes when there's devastation, when there's pain, when there's brokenness, the people of God have to make the decision to run to the pain, to run to the devastation, to run to the divide, to run to the brokenness and not avoid it. That's what the church is called to be. When everything is collapsing around us, when it seems like everything is being torn down and ripped apart, this is an opportunity for the church to become a bridge, for the church to be a bridge between heaven and here, for the church to be a bridge in which the love of God, the truth of God, the peace of God can be transported to the lost, to the broken, to the upside down, to the hurting, to the arrogant, to the prideful. What if the church became God's bridge? I don't in any way mean to make the collapsed bridge just some simple metaphor for a sermon. One, because I'm sure there are still families in Minnesota that are still grieving every August 1st of the loved ones that they lost. There may be people that survived it. 
They were one of the people that were injured, and every time they drive on a highway, something's triggered in them. Maybe their hands still tremble before they put them on a steering wheel. So in no way am I trying to make light of the pain of what happened on that day. And at the same time, there's a lesson to be learned when young Nate Miller ran to the collapse and brought the love of God, brought rescue to children that needed it. And here in Acts chapter 10, God is building a bridge of sorts. God is giving a bridge vision here in the book of Acts. This story is a story between Cornelius, who represents the military, who represents the law enforcement of the Roman Empire. He represents the power structure, the government of the Roman Empire, Cornelius. And here is Peter, Peter, a disciple of Jesus, who has had problems with the Roman Empire. He was hoping that Jesus was coming to overturn the Roman Empire, to, to, to raise up a rebel army of resistance and go after the empire. This is like, like Peter was hoping, I mean, he didn't notice at the time, but he was hoping like, like Jesus was like the divine Obi-Wan Kenobi that was coming to raise up a group of Jedis to go against the, the Caesar who was like, like Darth Vader and like the evil empire of Rome. And that's why he was frustrated when Jesus allowed himself to be arrested and he pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of a soldier because this is not what he signed up for. Peter was hoping that Jesus was this earthly revolutionary who was going to raise up an army to go against the Roman empire. And Jesus talked about another kingdom. Jesus talked about bridging from earth to eternity, to heaven. He even said, Peter, you should be praying like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A vision of a bridge that changes everything. And this story about God building a bridge between Cornelius and Peter is laying the groundwork for the bridges to be built in the church. Why do I say that? Because from the moment the Christian church begins in Scripture, there's problems of division. And, and, and you know what? You don't have to have people of different ethnic groups in the same church for there to be division. There can be, the church can be full of people that look exactly like each other. They can have the same skin tone. They can eat the same kind of food. They can talk the same slang, and there's still division. We see this even in the Bible. Like when, the, like when they first started the Christian church, it was like Jewish Christ followers. But yet the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews were having a problem about how the elder women, especially the widows, were being treated and served in the church, and they got into an argument. 
So they were all Jewish people, but yet there was a divide. So just think of what happened when they planted the church in Rome, and it was Roman citizens and Jewish Christ followers in the same community. Just just think of when they planted the church in the city of Corinth, and there were people that were Greek, and people that were were Italian, and people that were African, and people that were, you know, Middle Eastern, and they're all in the same community trying to be the church. That's why Paul had to say to them, y'all need to treat each other better, like you're the same body, and the hand can't treat the foot wrong. You know, you got to still see the value in the eye. You got to see a value in the nose. You're like, every member of this church is important. The reason Paul had to write like that is because there was a chasm even in the church. So if the church is going to be a bridge in its surrounding community, it first has to be a bridge internally amongst each other. Like we got to build bridges to each other. We have to say none of us were meant to walk out life alone in isolation. We need each other internally because this city needs the church of God externally. We got to get our relationships right internally because Elk Grove needs a church that looks like heaven externally. Because in the church and in the church's work, we can't separate the gospel from reconciliation. Like unity and good news go together. You can't separate them because that's what the gospel is supposed to be. It's supposed to connect us to God and connect us rightly with one another even if we don't look like each other. That's the gospel. The gospel is reconciliation. Reconciliation is the gospel. The gospel is bringing together what has been separated because of sin. Okay, now that I gave you all the appetizers, we're going to get to the main course now. So I just gave you some wings and nachos. I just gave you some cheese curds right there. I just gave you some tater tots, you know, some French fries with some cheese on it. I just gave you that. So now... Now, now we gotta get to now we gotta get to some steak and lobster. Now we gotta get to some catfish, macaroni and cheese, yams, collard greens, and cornbread. Now we gotta get to that now. And, and, and if God is good to me, I might give you some peach cobbler at the end. So let's let's see, let's see what God will do. So what does this bridge work of God look like? What is God desiring to do through the church? in a broken, collapsed world, understanding the bridge work of God. The divine one desires to address the disparities and divides that exist in our world. So, what does that look like for the church to be a bridge? Point one, we have to realize that God builds bridges. God builds bridges. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, 
Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. God builds bridges. I told you already, sisters and brothers, we, we cannot overlook how radical this story is, how relevant this story is. Sometimes we can preach and teach this text and we cannot acknowledge how relevant this story is to things that have happened in our own recent history here in the United States. I'm telling you, check this out. Cornelius represents military. But see, in the Roman Empire, what we would look at as military in our country and what we would look at as law enforcement were combined. So the same, the same group that would go out and fight in battle to expand the Roman Empire, to fight against other empires, is also the same group that would just arrest you on the street and take you to jail. It, it was combined. It was connected. I mean, yeah, there were different titles and there were different, you know, officer ranks and stuff like that, different responsibilities. But you got to look at the, this, this, this military group is like the, the convergence of like the army and, uh, and, and the highway patrol and the county sheriff and the local police department all together. This is who Cornelius, this, Cornelius represents this. He also represents the system that is oppressing the followers of Jesus at the time. Because in that empire, for preaching Jesus, you could get flogged, beaten. You, you could get stoned to death. You could be put in prison. You could be crucified like Jesus. You could be crucified upside down. You could be beheaded like John the Baptist. So here is Peter representing a group that's trying to advance the kingdom of God. Here is Cornelius representing a group that wants to throw Christians in prison or worse. And God is building a bridge between these two to send a larger message of what the work of God, what the gospel does. This is why you got to be careful when you disagree with someone or you're angry about an incident that happened that's real, not to stereotype everybody in the other group, not to paint everybody in the other group a certain way because you don't know what God is doing. You don't know what God, I saw when George Floyd died. You know why that hit me some kind of way? Because George Floyd died on the block I grew up on. That store George Floyd came out of in Minneapolis, I bought so many Hostess apple pies. I bought so many Funyuns up in there, so many comic books. When I saw George Floyd dying, it hit me some kind of way. But I could not, I could not just paint all police officers one way. You know why? Two reasons. One, because the police chief at the time, I grew up with him. We went to elementary school together. We went to middle school together. I've known that dude since I was a little kid. So I grew up with the police chief 
And I grew up on the block where George Floyd was crying out for his life. Then I got to tell you this part. My son-in-law, Josiah, is very, very light-skinned. Like, he's white. And so, (laughs) and guess what my son-in-law does for a living? He's a police officer. So, you know what kept me from painting all the police officers in America a certain way? Because I had evidence of what God was doing in the hearts of the police officers I knew. But what officers that, that, that knew pastors like me that happened to be chocolate also couldn't stereotype all people like me because they knew who I am. See, even, this is hard to preach, it's probably hard to receive, but even when there's division and injustice and unrest and sin everywhere, you still don't know what God is doing in the heart of the people that you don't want to deal with, that you don't want to break bread with, that you don't want to associate with. And so God is building a bridge between two people that represent two systems that don't really want to hang out with each other. And yet God is saying, Cornelius, I want Peter to have dinner at your house. God builds bridges. God not only builds bridges, God expands bridges for a deeper work that sometimes I don't even understand in my own mind. So you know, um, when you drive on the highway, there's this lane, it's called the carpool lane. But you can't get in it unless somebody else is in your car. So you just, you can't drive that lane. So if you're driving by yourself, and some people have tried to cheat the system. The the highway patrol has put out evidence of people that they pulled over that had a mannequin in the passenger seat. One person they pulled over had their dog with a baseball cap in the passenger seat in the carpool lane, (laughs) trying to cheat the system. But you can't get in the carpool lane unless there's actually other human beings in the car with you. If you're by yourself in the car, you have to stay in the slower lane, the lane that gets bottled up like a parking lot. But you can get to your destination sooner if you're willing to ride it out with somebody else. I'm trying to tell you something here. We will get quicker to a destiny of healing and unity, and transformation, and justice, the good news of Jesus being realized in the world if we're willing to ride out life with somebody else. 
If we're willing to write, even when it gets hard, even when it gets difficult, even when we don't vote the same way, even when we don't use the same slang, I'm telling you, there are some places that the church will never go. There's some places that this nation will never realize until people are willing to get into the carpool lane of life on this issue. This is why most social issues we can't solve because we won't get in the carpool lane. We'd rather stay stuck bumper to bumper in our own political party, in our own ethnicity, in our own crew, and we'd rather stay stuck bumper to bumper on a social issue than to ride it out with somebody else that's different than us, and I'm telling you we can get to the destination quicker. Because sometimes God is just trying to get us in the carpool lane of life so that we can listen to each other so that we can hear each other, so that we can respect each other. Sometimes you got to ride it out with somebody that you really wasn't planning. I wasn't planning for you to be in my car, and I ain't changing my music either. So don't tell, don't, you go just listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's what we playing, because I'm driving. Well, maybe not only do we need to get it to a car with somebody else, maybe we need to let God drive. Maybe in this carpool lane, Everybody's in the passenger seat because God is driving. The word of God is driving it. Oh, okay. I'm, I, I told you I wasn't going to keep you long. Now, that was point one. Here, okay, here you go. There's only two more. There's only two more. Now, point two, God raises up bridge people. Not only does God build bridges, but he's looking for people that are willing to stand on the bridge people that are willing to embody the bridge. So the question becomes, sisters and brothers, what has to change in me? What has to change in you so that you can stand on God's bridge? God's bridge of love, God's bridge of healing, God's bridge of the good news, God's bridge of kindness and, and, un, and, and, and forgiveness. That means you got to get off the other bridge. Get off the bridge of stubbornness and pride and individualism and selfishness and self-centeredness to stand on God's bridge. Because what I've realized is that my bridge is faulty. There are cracks in my bridge. There are potholes in my bridge. My bridge is shaky. My, you ever seen a bridge before that you're like, you know, I don't know if I'm going across that one. Like some of these bridges, when I go the back way out of West Sac into the Bay Area, and it's like this river road bridge. And as a matter of fact, there's a pickup truck coming. I don't even know if both of us can fit on this bridge at the same time. I'm like, who built this? A bridge just for two Volkswagens? Like who's supposed to go across this bridge? I don't, I don't trust these bridges. I need more lanes on the bridge. I need it to be more sturdy. I need it to be able to hold up the weight of life. At least the weight of my car. God's bridge can hold the weight of whatever you're carrying. God's bridge can hold the weight. So God raises up bridge people. And that's where we find Peter here in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. 
It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So let me help you understand what a tanner's house is. Because first time I read this years ago, I was like, oh, this is like a, like a spa. Like, this is like he went to get a tan. But like, he could be arrested for like preaching Jesus. Why is he getting a tan today? But that's not, it wasn't a spa. So the tanner's place, this is, this is like a, a nasty kind of messy place. This is the place where like it's part of the process of how they made leather. So like they, they kill animals and like this is the place where like they're skinning the animals and then they're, they're taking the skins and preparing them to, to be products that they're going to sell in stores. And so this is a bloody place. This is a messy place. It's the reason Peter is staying there because Peter is thinking this is an unclean place for a Jewish person to be. But the reason he's there is he's saying, nobody could ever find me here that's trying to kill me. The people like Cornelius that want to arrest me, that, that, that want to kill me, he thinks, would never find me here. The only way they could find me here is God would have to tell them I'm here. Because Jewish people don't hang out at places like this. It's not kosher. You know what I mean? It's nasty. It goes against the Hebraic laws of where you're supposed to be. It's an unclean place. So he's there hiding until the next thing that God has called him to do. While he's there, though, he gets hungry. I guess hangry. And so he don't want to, you know, he don't want to cuss nobody out. So, you know. Now, I don't know, y'all good Christian people, you never get mad when you're real hungry because y'all such saintly, but, but I'm talking about the, the mother people out here. Uh, so Peter gets like that. He's so hungry, he's like, look, I'm just going to go up, you, you know, I'm going to take a nap, and maybe when I wake up, the food will finally be done, finally be done. Uh, and, and I guess he, gets so, he got so hungry, he fell into a trance. He was real hungry. He went from being mad to just like, I'm about to pass out because I'm hungry. While he's in this trance, God gives this vision. And God basically says, you want something to eat? Eat this. How about this uh, lizard sandwich right here? How about these snake dumplings? How about this gecko po' boy? Won't you eat that? He's like, I can't eat the gecko dude, man. I can't eat the, the, the gecko dude. Yeah, if you see, put some hot sauce on him. He good, he good, he good. Peter's like, I can't eat that. That's unclean. I'm not supposed to do that. You know, um, I kind of can relate to this story a little bit because my people on my dad's side are from Louisiana. And so growing up, I used to go down to Louisiana, hang out with my people. And so I remember my cousin O'Rail, like she was barbecuing, my cousin O'Rail. And, uh, and so uh, there was some meat on the grill and it was, a, it was about to fall off the grill. It was like hanging on the edge, right? So, so I, I didn't wait for it to fall. I just, I kept going towards the grill. My cousin O'Rail was like, what you doing, boy? You're going to burn your hand. Don't be doing that. I said, yes, ma'am. 
But then when she wasn't looking, I went and grabbed that piece of meat. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, that's good. My cousin Oro said, boy, I told you not to be so close to that grill, but was it good? I said, Cousin Orel, that's the best chicken I ever had in my life. She said, boy, that ain't chicken, that's armadillo. Okay, first of all, you ain't getting armadillo at the Safeway. I ain't never seen armadillo at the Costco, at the Piggly Wiggly, ever. There's only two ways you're going to get armadillo. You're going to hit it, or you're going to hunt it. I wanted to spit it out, but it was too late. I was already eating it. I already said it was good. Oh, man, I took my, my mother-in-law. <laughs> I need to remember this. Her mom came down to visit my grandmother, and she was eating. And she told my grandmother, this is the best roast I ever had. My grandma said, that's goat. And she's like, <laughs> And I was just thinking, what's she spitting out for? She was already saying, you know, it, she was already saying it was good. Sometimes God has to change our taste buds to move us into a new dimension, to move us into a new way of thinking. Sometimes in order to walk into a new purpose, God has to change our mindset. So the, the, the vision was just a metaphor for God having to change Peter's mind. God having to change Peter's heart. God having to change how Peter saw the world. Are you willing to allow God to mess with your thinking, to mess with your feelings, to re-engineer your life so that you can live as a bridge person. God raises up bridge people. And finally, God provides bridges of reconciliation. Peter makes it to Cornelius' house, and in verse 24 of Acts chapter 10, it says, the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Oh, Lord, Peter's like, okay, now you're going to bring all your people over here? I got to deal with all your people? As Peter entered the house, Cornelius, the guy that he thought would oppress him, arrest him, do harm to him, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Wow. Wow. Later in the text, much, much later, I encourage you to read it for yourself. The whole household gave their life to Christ. The friends and relatives of Cornelius said yes to Jesus. What are you going to do when God calls you to bring the gospel to enemies so they can become your brothers and your sisters? 
This is the radical, revolutionary bridge work of the church. To step into the divides. To step into the destruction. To step into the pain. This is why when Danish and I were in Ghana, it was painful to stand in the slave dungeons. I cried like a baby, thinking of my own ancestors here in the United States, knowing that there were enslaved Africans that from the moment they were captured, they had to walk in chains three to four months to get to the slave dungeons. Some of them didn't survive that. Then they lived three to four months in the slave dungeons. Some of them did not survive that. Then it was two to three months on the slave ships. One of the first slave ships was actually called Jesus. Two to three months on the waters. Some did not survive that. And then 250 plus years of slavery. Now I know there are some people that for some reason don't want this taught in the public schools. They don't, they're fearful that our kids will just get angry. But, but I read a Bible that says, don't you ever forget that you were slaves in Egypt and I delivered you and brought you out. <laughs> Forgetting pain does not produce purpose. It produces myths. It produces false narratives that never allow us to move forward. So eliminating painful stories doesn't produce godly purpose in our lives. So now we have to decide what are we going to do with the pain. One of our guides when we were in Ghana said to Danish and I in the group, you didn't need to come here if your intention is to go back to the United States and be bitter. He said, you've got to find a way for this experience to heal you and make you better. He said, you could have stayed back in your own country and been bitter. You could have stayed back in your own country and been angry. This was an African man saying this to us. And so while we were in the slave dungeons, and everybody in this group was an African-American, and so I remember holding a candle facing Chad Erlenborn, a white brother, holding a candle. And we prayed together and we wept together and we embraced each other like never before in the dungeon. Sometimes we have to build bridges in places of pain. Sometimes we have to build bridges in the very spots where we're yelling at each other. So that's what the people of God should do. The people of God shouldn't go where the anger is and just be one more angry participant in the mob. We ought to go to the places of pain and division and anger and be God's bridges of reconciliation and love and truth and justice and grace and forgiveness. We ought to stand in the pain with a purpose. Because as I come to my close, sisters and brothers, I just wanted you to know that what I, what I really wanted to tell you in all of this, sisters and brothers, is I get now who Jesus was when he came to earth. He was a bridge. Jesus was a bridge between heaven and here. Jesus was a bridge. Jesus was a bridge over troubled waters. He was a bridge over death 
a bridge over starvation, a bridge over injustice, a bridge over destruction, a bridge over arrogance, a bridge over selfishness. Jesus was a bridge over troubled waters, but Jesus wasn't just a bridge over troubled waters. Jesus got in troubled waters. He got in troubled waters with a Samaritan woman. He got in troubled waters with Peter and Judas. He got in troubled waters with Nicodemus. He got in troubled waters with 5,000 people that just wanted to listen to him for a while but really get a fish sandwich. And he multiplied it because he was there in the water with him. You can't just stand on the bridge. Sometimes what Christians have to do is get in the water. And that's why Midtown Elk Grove exists. We're going to get in the waters of Elk Grove. We're going to get in the public schools. We're going to get with families. We're going to get with single mamas. We're going to get with the under-resourced. We're going to get with people without health care. We're going to get with wealthy people that don't know Jesus because Midtown Elk Grove is here to get in the water. Some of y'all might have to move to Elk Grove. Some of y'all might have to switch schools in Elk Grove because Midtown is going to get in the water. And maybe, like the prophet George Clinton said, with the rhythm it takes to dance to, what we have to live through, we can dance underwater and not get wet. I know it ain't in the Bible, but it felt good, didn't it, didn't it? The rhythm it takes. To... Okay, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing... Keep it on Jesus. Keep it on Jesus. As I close this service today, maybe you're here today and you've come to the realization that God wants you to be a bridge. God wants you to be a bridge. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe it's where you live. Sometimes bridge opportunities come where we're not expecting it. I remember when Donisha and I moved to West Sac, I was just taking the garbage out. And a guy down the street walked by me and he said, hey, I think I know you now. I said, well, we've talked a few times. He goes, no. He said, I hate to tell you this, but I kept looking at you and then you told me your name. Sorry, he said, I'm sorry, man, I Googled you. He said, why didn't you tell me what you did? And I said, well, you know, I'm just trying to be a good neighbor. And in that moment, he started asking me to pray for him. God was building a bridge. Maybe God wants you to be a bridge person. If you know that God is maybe messing with your heart to be a bridge where you work, where you live, with your own family members that don't know Jesus, where you go to school, where you volunteer, and you're not sure what to do, but you know you need God to lead you. I just want you to stand where you are. If you're willing to say, I, I think I'm supposed to be a bridge. I think I'm supposed to be a bridge. Maybe you've already said yes to this. You don't need to stand a second time. But today, if you're like, you know, I think, I think God is saying where I live, where I work, in my family, I got to step it up. I got to be a bridge. I got I to gotta be a bridge. Here at, at this church, I've been coming to Midtown Elk Grove, and, 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 and I've, I've, been, I've been sitting out in the crowd, but I think God's calling me to more now. 
I think God's calling me to serve. I think God's calling me to give. I think God's calling me to volunteer. I think God's calling me to something beyond what I could imagine in my own power, beyond even this church. And, and so, but I feel nervous like Peter. I don't want to eat no lizard sandwich. But I know God's calling me to be a bridge. I'm going to pray for you. And then if you need additional prayer, you see our, our good folks up here. They would love to pray for you, pray with you. Um, if you didn't understand the George Clinton quote, this brother right here, explain it to you right here. If you, if you need that at the end of the service. God, I pray for these sisters and brothers that stood. God, I pray that you would empower us, strengthen us to be a bridge over troubled waters and when necessary to get in the troubled waters and bring your love, your truth, your grace, your peace, your kindness to those that need it most. You know, sometimes before we can be a bridge, we need you to be a bridge for us. Maybe there are some of us here, we're in pain, we're hurting, we're depressed, we're frustrated, we're angry, and we need you to be a bridge of love, of forgiveness, of strength, of healing in our own hearts. It takes a bridge to be a bridge. So be my bridge, Jesus. I need you. Let all this be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let the whole church say amen. God bless you. We love you. God loves you more. so much for tuning into Midtown Church. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for weekly messages to stay rooted in the word and for a dose of hope, health, and healing in your life. Want to get more connected to Midtown Church? Just visit us online at midtownchurch.org.